everyone, and welcome back to the Capella podcast. Today, we have Erin Meinel on. She is a certified sleep consultant and a business owner, as well as a blogger and podcaster. She talks all about sleep, and this is what we're going to talk about in the interview today. As season one of the Capella podcast comes to an end, I felt like addressing sleep, especially in the first couple of months, was essential, and we couldn't finish this season with all the amazing experts that we've had on without looking and diving deep into sleep. Using the skills she refined as an early childhood educator and childcare director for almost a decade, Erin and her team of sleep consultants work to help families find rest and well-being through one-on-one -on -one and group sleep coaching services. Over the last three years, they've served hundreds of families in Wisconsin's Lake Country area and across the US. So without further ado, here's my interview with Erin Meinel. Before we get into the interview, I'd like to remind everyone that as usual, we have the episode uploaded on our YouTube channel if you want to watch the full interview as well. Hi everyone, today I have Erin Meinel on the podcast. Um, hi Erin, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good, Apolina, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for asking. Um, I'm really excited to have you on because I'm really excited to talk about sleep. It's not something we have discussed in depth on this podcast before. And so um, why don't we start by, um, why don't you start by introducing yourself, who you are and what you're up to? Um, just give us a brief overview. Sounds great. Well, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so I am actually a pediatric sleep coach, and I work with parents across the globe to help their little ones learn how to sleep without needing all the things. So we really look at kids from a developmental and holistic perspective, and I help educate parents on what is appropriate for where your child is at. And how can we help move them a little further along than where they're at? So when we're thinking about um, newborn babies, like they're not capable of doing a lot of their own settling yet. So parents are going to be very hands-on in that stage. But at what point and where are they at in this continuum of development when that does become possible? And how can parents kind of start by encouraging that and then supporting the growth in that area as their baby gets a little more older and a little more capable. So that's really what we do um, at my business, which is called Lake Country Sleep. And um, we work with families all over the world. We're kind of like your sleep bestie in your back pocket for those early few months, the first years of your child's life when it comes to their sleep. I love that tagline. <laughs> What, so maybe let's, we could just start off by talking about what the benefits of a quality night or quality sleep are, because before we kind of um, dive deeper into what the methods are and what the different stages are, um, just like high level, why is it so important that parents yes. and babies sleep well? So as human beings, our very basic needs 
even before feeling safety and loved is like nourishment and sleep, right? Like in order for us to function at a, at a level where we can, you know, thrive, we need to nourish our bodies and we need to be able to rest and recover. So sleep really is a pillar of our health and well-being. And when our kids get quality consolidated sleep, they're getting into deeper sleep cycles. That's where a lot of the magic happens. So while it's developmentally normal for a newborn baby, even babies like up to six, maybe even nine months still may need a night feed because again, that nourishment, um, at some point we do want to help them and help their body learn that daytime is for nourishing our bodies and nighttime is for sleep because we do want to reap all of those benefits. So things that happen when our kids sleep well, number one, growth hormones are released. You might actually notice that when you put your baby down at night and they wake up the next day, they look bigger. Maybe they look like they got longer or taller or a little chunkier. That's because it probably did happen when they're sleeping. Um, you may notice too that if your little one's not feeling well, they sleep more. That's because when you sleep, your immune system ramps up. So prioritizing sleep when your little one isn't feeling well is really important. Um, it's also good for our cardiovascular and mental health. Um, I know one of the reasons I became a sleep coach is because when my first son was born and I experienced like sleep deprivation for the first time, it took uh, it took a toll on my mental health. And just once he started sleeping better and it, you know, I started sleeping better consequently, um, things improved. So your mental health, not only for the child, but for the parent is really important. And I do want to say too, one more thing about that is when you're chat, when you are sleeping better, at night and you have like that strong mental health, you're able to parent your baby better during the day when they really do need you. Um, so that can go a really long way. And then obviously, like we talked a lot about like the physical growth of your baby, but also their brain development. Sleep is so, so critical for brain development. And you know, newborns nap a lot. They are sleepy little things, but that's because they're actually developing at such a fast pace that mm -hmm. their body needs to sleep in order to keep up with it. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. And it's really important um, to get that sleep, both for the baby and the parents, um, which is kind of what you stressed here. And um, it's, yeah, we spoke before recording this, you told, you told me about um, sleep training and how life-changing it can be for certain families. Um, there's also families that maybe don't even know that sleep training exists or don't even know all the benefits it can have or how it works. So could you walk us through what literally at a new parent, as a new parent you would learn when you take a sleep training class, um, what, what these skills are basically, and also what the different stages are. So newborn, older baby, you know, through the different phases of life. Um, yeah. yeah. What are the actual tangible things you can do? Yes. So with newborn babies, really babies who are like zero to 12, 16 ish weeks, we want to focus on sleep shaping, which is really just those foundational pieces, right? Making sure that the baby has a safe space to sleep. That's their own, um, swaddling the baby so that they're not 
inadvertently waking themselves up with that moral reflex that is prominent those first few months of life. Um, we also want to make sure we're providing like the most ideal environment that's conducive to sleep, helping your baby's circadian rhythm develop because they're actually not born with a circadian rhythm. So that usually starts to emerge closer to between six and 12 weeks. So you, there are things you can do that kind of helps that come along, um, especially for babies who are experiencing day and night confusion or reverse cycling where they're really sleepy during the day, not eating as much and eating a lot at night, more awake at night. Like we wanna, we wanna kind of switch when that's happening, right? So that's a lot of like what sleep shaping is during those first few months of life. And then your baby will actually go through a physiological change to their sleep cycles. This is famously known as the four month sleep regression because it happens around four months old. However, it's not really a regression because your baby's sleep is developing. It's more of a progression. However, it does result for lots of babies in more night waking, shorter naps, simply because there's a reorganization to their sleep cycles. So when they were born, they had two stages of sleep per cycle, and now they have four, just like we as adults have. The only issue with that is because there are more stages to go through in each cycle, there's also more opportunities for them to awaken. So we all awaken between sleep cycles at night, but as adults, if nothing has changed in our environment, we basically roll over and go back to sleep and don't even remember that that occurred. However, when you're a baby and you were rocked to sleep or fed to sleep, whatever it was, someone helped you to sleep, right? If you wake up after that sleep cycle and that thing is still not occurring, as a baby, that can be kind of startling. So of course you're gonna cry out and signal and say, where are you? You were rocking me to sleep and now I'm in my crib, right? And, and then as an adult, that would be like us going to sleep um, in our bed and then waking up in the front lawn, right? So it's, it's startling. It's, and basically what we wanna do once our baby is capable and has those four stages per sleep cycle, we now know that, okay, their sleep is developed enough. We can do some more formal sleep training if it's needed. Not all babies need sleep training and some, especially if you've been able to really focus on sleep shaping during the newborn stage, you don't need to do any more formal sleep training. This also depends on different babies' temperaments. Some babies are a little more sensitive to sleep. So just like with learning any new skill, it might be hard for me. It might be easy for you. Same for a baby. Um, like there are kids who struggle with learning how to read. They need a little more intervention. It's the same thing for some babies with sleep. They just need a little more intervention. And that is where sleep training may be helpful for some families. I also wanna mention too, when I talk about sleep training here, I'm talking about looking at your child holistically. There are five pillars to um, our sleep plans that we use for families. And only one piece of that is actually the sleep training method. So we're also looking at um, your baby's routines, their schedule, um, what their day looks like, their personality, their temperament, your parenting styles, right? Those are all things we wanna take into consideration. And the method that we use to teach that independent sleep depends on um, a lot of things. So there are four main methods 
of sleep training that pa parents can um, choose to utilize for their child. And when we work with families, we kind of talk about, okay, if you do this option, this is what you can expect. This might be a really good option for where your baby is at right now. Um, and again, we really look at the baby's needs. how they got used to being put to sleep. And so when you are not doing it anymore, um, they basically panic a little bit and wake up. Um, what are other methods that parents usually use to put a baby to sleep apart from like wrapping, feeding? Is there a common thing that is playing music or, you know, noise, there's certain types of noises or anything else? Um, that yeah. is recommended on, or known to put a baby to sleep in the first place. So there are actually lots of things that can help cue your child's body that sleep is coming or it's time to sleep now. So mm -hmm. one of the things I recommend that all families do, even from the very beginning, is having a bedtime routine and a nap routine. Even as early as six weeks old, babies can start to distinguish that pattern of events happening and learn that there's meaning behind it, right? So um, I always recommend if you're gonna put your baby down for a nap, doing a diaper change in the same place every time and then um, swaddling them up, offering that feed if they're a newborn, if they need it before they go to sleep, if they're like beyond that, um, you know, they've probably already fed. So then it's just a matter of like doing what you do, give them a few snuggles and a, a kiss, and then you put them down for their nap. So it really depends on uh, where the child is at as far as what the routine looks like. But that string of events becomes a cue for their body that, okay, after X, Y, and Z happens, I go to sleep. So other environmental things you were asking about like sounds. So I always, always, always recommend playing white noise in the background. So the idea is that white noise kind of mimics the sound that your baby heard while they were in the womb. It's like the sound of blood rushing through the mom's body. And it was actually really loud. So um, research shows that sounds within the womb could actually spike between 80 and 90 decibels, that's really loud. So it's not that all the time, but it can spike that loud. And um, your baby, when we play white noise for them, we wanna set it about 55 to 60 decibels. So it's a lot quieter than what they experienced in the womb, um, but that's what the current recommendation is. And it actually will help your baby get into a deeper sleep, which is ideal for all of that magic that happens that we talked about earlier. Wow, that's very, very fascinating um, that I didn't know that they could hear it that loudly in the womb. Um, that's incredible. So you talked about more formal sleep training and that there are kind of five pillars um, and only one of them is the actual method and the rest of it is just different types of babies, of parents and of, you know, external situations. Um, but I'm really interested in, you know, the actual methods um, that you can use, because obviously the rest of the items will vary and are very um, personal. But could you maybe touch on one or two or all four of the methods, whatever you feel comfortable with, um, that are the formal sleep training methods that you use? Yes, absolutely. So when we think about sleep training as like 
a newer parent, you probably assume that it is cry it out. Like we're just going to leave our baby to cry. And that's what sleep training is. But that's actually only one method. And that is definitely one of the more extreme methods. Now, research does support that that method will work for a lot of babies. It's quick, but it doesn't always feel good or align with a lot of parents, right? So that's one extreme. On the other end of the continuum, we have like these no cry methods. And truly there is no such thing as a no cry method because anytime we're implementing a change to your baby's sleep habits, there is going to be some form of protest. So it really, what it comes down to is what's the parent's response. If the baby starts to cry, the parent's gonna settle them right away, right? So there still technically is crying involved. It's just a matter of how and when the parent responds. So that's kind of the other end of the continuum. And then we have the more moderate approaches that are in the middle. So um, you'll commonly hear these referred to as Ferber method, timed intervals, leave and check, check and console. So that's kind of just, you know, what I said. Um, parents will go in and check on the baby at, you know, an agreed upon time. Sometimes you will extend time between checks. Sometimes you will, in my practice, I really recommend tuning into what your baby's communicating at that time and not necessarily doing a check if they don't need it, right? So we talk a lot about, well, what does this protest crying sound like versus what are all the other kinds of crying sound like? So you know, oh, my baby needs me or, oh, my baby's settling. I don't wanna go in and interrupt that, right? So that's another method. And then a little more parent present method is like a chair method or the sleep lady shuffle. Basically the parent starts in the room with the child and then over the course of time, we kind of release the responsibility from the parent to the child and the parent moves physically um, out of the room over time, as well as does a little bit less interaction over the course of time too. I guess a lot of guilt if you let them cry it out for too long. Um, and if you're always kind of, um, using the no cry method and always there then they might not fall asleep either so um yeah how do you kind of assess what will work best for that particular family you're working with um yeah, that's a great question we have um a lot of families will set up a discovery call with me prior to working together so i hear a lot of their concerns on that call like what changes they want to see, what they're worried about, questions they have, what it's like working with us. So those are all things we chat about on that call. And I take notes during those calls so that I know, okay, we talked about this and this and this. These are changes. Like I'm thinking in my head, okay, this is what we would do to fix that. Um, so I have notes. And then if the family decides, yes, this is what I need for myself, for my baby, this is what we need to do to like move beyond this phase of our life, um, we decide, yep, we're a good fit to work together. Let's do this. Then they get a full onboarding questionnaire form that I send them. And it, it ranges depending on your baby's age between 20 and 50 questions. It's pretty in depth because like I said, one of the things we do when we're looking at writing this child's sleep plan is looking at the child from absolutely every angle. So we're really looking at them holistically. Um, we ask about 
different developmental milestones your baby is currently reaching, obviously age, weight, um, we look at their temperament. So the more that the more information that we can gather, the families can give us, the better and more personalized a sleep plan we can create for that family, simply based on where their baby is at, both from a developmental perspective and from like the parent's perspective. Because when it comes to sleep training, the most important thing is that the parents are consistent. So if there is a method that I don't think aligns with the parenting philosophy or style of that particular family, they're probably not going to be able to be consistent with it. And that's where we would run into to issues. So usually when we then chat and talk about the plan together, I will present families with a few options based on what I saw from all the information I've gathered. And then together we talk about, okay, these are your options. What do you feel most comfortable with implementing? It really is a team effort. And then whenever they choose, we go and we be consistent and they have coaching through the process. Mm -hmm. So that's super helpful. So you basically offer uh, a coaching, you're kind of a sounding board, uh, you give advice um, you know, I know that some people also get sleep doulas that literally come into their homes um, to help with the baby during the night. Uh, is that something that you recommend in more extreme cases or is that a good thing to do, you know, even once or twice? Like, how, what do you think about having someone come in and um, do that? Or is the sleep doula someone who's coming in and taking care of the baby at night so the family can sleep? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> because if they're, if they're two both. different situations, exactly. it's two yeah. different answers, right? Yeah. So if you're going to have someone come in and do sleep training for you, I know there are people that do that. Um, I always come from the the idea that we want to help our babies learn new skills that are hard. So if the parents can be involved, that's always my preference. Um, yeah. When we're thinking about like a secure attachment with your child, yeah. you know, the hard things, whenever they're struggling, one of the things that we want to make sure we're doing is supporting them through that struggle and learning the skill of sleep is hard for some babies and they're going to struggle with it. So I do feel that having your parent there to help you learn that skill is important. That doesn't mean that if you choose or have chosen to have someone come in and do it for you, it's wrong. Your baby's not really going to remember that anyway, right? Um, so it doesn't matter. Like it's a blip in time. It's not going to affect your attachment. However, just being mindful that when you can help your child through these struggles, that's when you actually strengthen your attachment. So that's one thing to keep in mind if you're going to have someone come in and do that for you. The other thing is if someone's coming in to do those cares at night so you can sleep, I think that's really great, especially during the newborn phase. Um, it, it's important that you prioritize your sleep too. So if you're not focusing on sleep shaping during that time, or you are and you want help with it, um, that's really important. And I think taking all the help you can get, no matter what stage your baby at, is ideal. Yes, for sure. Um, getting help is really, really important. Um, so now, you know, I have a, another question more on the parents you talk to. Is there one thing that a lot of parents get wrong? And when you go in and fix that one thing, you see a lot of improvement or is it really distributed across the board, uh, in terms of like 
you know, what impacts the baby's sleep the most? Like if, if they're yeah. one like, trick that you can always say, oh, this is going to help because they're probably doing that thing wrong. Or is it? Yes. Wrong? So there's like two things that really go together. Um, actually, I should say three and two of them kind of go together. So the first is that like as a new parent, we often just assume that you rock a baby to sleep. You help a baby to sleep. So you do that without knowing that your baby might actually be capable of putting themselves to sleep all the mm -hmm. time or sometimes. Um, but if you don't try it or don't give that opportunity, they're never going to do it. So then they're going to learn, okay, this is how I go to sleep, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the first thing is that your baby is oftentimes more capable than you think. At times they will need help. That's what's developmentally appropriate. But if you don't ever give them the opportunity to practice, you know, for lack of a better term, they're not going to know anything different. So that's the first thing. And then the second piece has to do with feeding and when that occurs. So during, um, when you bring your baby home and during the daytime hours, I always recommend following the eat, play, sleep routine. So what that does is that establishes that we are fully rested prior to having a feeding so that we can have a full feeding. We're hungry, right? Upon waking. And then we have a little bit of awake time and we go back to sleep. So what happens is it breaks apart those activities. Lots of parents fall into feeding their baby to sleep because that seems to be the only thing that gets their baby to sleep. And I would highly recommend trying to keep your baby awake for all of their feeds because we want them to get a full feeding, right? We don't want them to be snacking and then stuck in the snacking cycle. Mm -hmm. We want them to get full feeds, uh, which then promotes better naps, which then promotes full feeds. It's just a nice cycle to get into. And it's not like very rigid feeling, right? It's a nice routine, especially when you have a newborn. And you're basically going to repeat that routine throughout your baby's first year of life when they're awake during the day. Um, and then to go along with that, the other thing where people are like, oh my gosh, that made the biggest difference is after your baby hits four months old, they, their stomach is big enough where they don't need to be topped off like right before they go in their crib at night, right? So as a newborn, yes, you want to top them off. But once they hit four months old, once you know that they've been through that four month sleep regression, um, you're going to move that final feeding of the day to the very beginning of the bedtime routine instead of towards the end. So that again, kind of breaks up the um, feeding and sleep association that a lot of babies have. Um, parents kind of learn to differentiate different cries, like does my baby actually need me or they just kind of you know, putting themselves to sleep and crying a little bit, but I don't need to um, intervene or walk in. Um, so how, in your experience, how long does it take for new parents to differentiate between different types of cries, to learn what the different types of cries mean? And what are the different types of cries? Uh, can we make like a list of them? Um, yeah. Yeah, another good question. Um, so, you know, every baby is different. There are 
various resources online where parents can go to learn about the types of cries. We actually give all of our clients, when once they sign on with us, we give them a full onboarding document that outlines, okay, these are the different types of crying you might know and experience. And as they read about it and they're reading like the description, they're like, oh yeah, I, I know when my baby does that, that makes sense. So then when they step into night one and their baby is just protest crying, they're like, oh, okay, that's all that is. And then we kind of go through like, through the process, what they can expect on night one. So we have like protest crying, we have um, like mantra crying, which is kind of a, a repetitive sound that you hear the baby making in their crying. And it's very even like, like a mantra. And that's kind of when we know, okay, like they're almost ready to soothe. There's like a peak to the crying. Usually depending on the baby's age, there is a certain amount of minutes that occurs at. So the, if the parent knows what to expect and knows what to listen for, that's going to help them be like, okay, the baby's doing this type of crying right now. I don't think I want to go in and interrupt that. I don't need to offer a check because I know this is what happens next, right? So it's interesting you ask about that because I was actually helping nap train my nephew this week and um, I did his first two naps of the day with him. He didn't need a third nap, which was phenomenal, but um, his first, he's four months old. His mm -hmm. first nap, it took him 21 minutes to fall asleep. I did two check-ins and pretty much immediately after the second check-in, um, he stopped crying and went to sleep. So I kind of like listened for those, the peak, the mantra, and then all of a sudden he was just out. And then for his second nap, like we had already practiced it for his first nap. For his second nap, we did, um, I think I did, I waited seven minutes before I went in. And this was really cool to see because it was like, as soon as I went in, supported him a little bit, comforted him a little bit. Um, I left and he was upset about that, right? Like your baby's gonna have feelings. We don't wanna suppress their feelings. We wanna support their feelings. So just because your baby is crying doesn't mean it's bad. That's just how they communicate with you. So a lot of parents, it's just like, what is your baby communicating to you through this? So he was mad that I left um, because I had, you know, I was in there comforting him, calming him. Literally two minutes after that, he stopped crying. He like put his arms up and went to sleep. So it's interesting because I knew like he's tired. We have our timing, right? He's clearly upset that I'm not doing this for him anymore, but he also has the capability to do it on his own. So he fell asleep for that second nap in like seven minutes. So you can see like just having the opportunity to practice a few times, he made some great improvement. Um, and that's not to say that every nap is gonna get better and better and better. Like baby sleep is not linear, right? Um, it goes yeah. up and down quite a bit, but the more you can practice that and offer it and tune into what your baby's communicating to you is really important throughout that whole process. So that's a little bit about crying and like what it looks like during sleep training. And then you'll realize too, like during the day, um, you know, my baby's wet and uncomfortable. They want their diaper changed. Oh, that's the hunger cry. He's definitely hungry right now. It's been two and a half, three-ish hours since he ate, he's for sure ready to eat again. Wow, Erin, um, that was just a goldmine of super useful, helpful information. I hope it can help some people. Um, and, you know, if they want to reach out to you, what is the best way they can do that? Where can they find you if they want to work with you? Um, 
Yeah, tell us where to find you. Awesome. So you can find us online at lakecountrysleep.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Lake Country Sleep. We have a blog and podcast with lots of information, just like I shared today, where you can um, do a deep dive into what we're offering um, and how we can help you. And there's one last question that I like to ask all my guests. Uh, it's if you were right now faced with a new parent that just, you know, had a new baby, just brought their new baby home. Um, what are the top two or three pieces of advice that are very high level um, that you would give them? Very high level, but also very simple. So my first piece of advice is that your baby is often capable than more than what you think, just like we kind of talked about today. So always kind of sitting back and observing before you intervene, I think is really important from a parent perspective, but also like in respect to your child, right? Um, so that's my first little tidbit. And then my second is that the maternal instinct is very strong. So if you feel something is off in any way, Go with your gut because it's usually not wrong. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you on um, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you very much for listening to the Capella podcast once again. Um, Season one with the experts is coming to an end very soon. We have a couple of other episodes planned and then we'll wrap season one. But season two is going to be very exciting since we're going to have real life actual parents on who have no specific expertise in the early childhood field. And we have some amazing topics that we want to discuss and that are cooking up right now. So if someone out here listening is a new parent and would like to share their experience on this podcast, please, please, please reach out because we're, we still have a couple of slots to fill and we love to hear from all of you. Thank you so much.